Welcome to Spiritually Gifted with host Joe Dudfield. This show goes deep into the experiences and beliefs of those following an extraordinary life. Guests join us in conversation from around the world, sharing their stories, passions, gifts, abilities and wisdom. A window into the world of the spiritually gifted. So welcome to the show. It's so lovely to have you with me today. Guys, this is our guest, Elaine. She's from Spectre Detectors and she's joining us to talk about all of her extraordinary experiences and adventures with her paranormal investigation group. So tell us a bit more about you and what it is that you and Spectre Detectors do, because we'd love to know. Well, Spectre Detectors have been around now for the last nine years. We started back in 2011. And it's strange how we started. Um, I actually used to work night shift at a superstore. Right. And the superstore was haunted. So Bev and I, we worked together on the night shift. And we used to encounter the spirit. Two spirits, actually. A man and a woman. Um, right. And it didn't scare us. It used to scare the whole of the superstore. But it didn't scare us. <laughs> Um, because the shop, the, the store that we worked at was built on a foundry, an old foundry that was oh. demolished. And then the store was built on top. So we used to encounter this lovely man in a blue boiler suit. Mm. And he, we used to catch him walking past. We used to see him out the corner of our eye. And we used to have a, an elderly lady that has been caught on CCTV. And she used to love the clothes. And you could hear her rustling really? the clothes. Really? Yeah. Um, and if there was jewellery hanging, she used to make the jewellery sway. So we, we were very, very comfortable. In fact, we used to know, we called him Fred and we used to just talk to him. And <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, and then on the night shifts where, because I didn't always work with Bev, we split shifts. Um, and on the night, the, the strangest encounter I ever had with Fred was I was in the changing rooms at the bar because I used to work on the clothing department. And I was stripping plastic off the clothes and he mm. whispered in my ear. And he said my name. Wow. And uh, that scared me a bit, to be honest, because I was in there on my own, away from the rest of the store. Sure. And I, and I went out and I had to say to him, look, you scared me. Don't do that to me again. Yeah. And um, he didn't. And in one night, I, I propped the door open and I said, hold that door for me, will you, while I pull, pull his clothes out. <laughs> and, um, and then I said, you can close it now. And the door closed. Wow. And I thought, oh, Fred's helping me on my shift. <laughs> so, so that's you, really... Had you seen Spirit before? Like, as a kid, had you seen Spirit? As a child, yeah. 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 So you've got mediumistic abilities, and, and Bev must have as well, if she was seeing and yeah. feeling things as well. Yeah. Well, Bev doesn't wow. actually hear, but she gets visions, and she's very... She can, she can sense things. She gets yeah. feelings, you know. Yeah. And she... Yeah. But it, it, it all adds. It all adds to the team. So that's... So from when I was little and seeing spirit, I mean, bear in mind, I was born in the 70s. You didn't talk mm. about it then. No, I mean, no, there were, no, no. There were spiritualist churches, but only weirdos went to those. You know? Exa- exactly. Yeah, same for me, because I was born in 72 and there's no one else in my family because I'm a medium. That's what I do. Uh-huh. Um, yep. 
um and i and i'm a healer as well so i'm deep into into that world in a different way to you but deep in it and there's no other mediums or healers in my family so there was no reference point so and that must have been the same for you you know who do you talk to about it quite lucky because both of my parents used to see spirit oh that's so helpful and my cousin from down south she lives in weymouth she used to she was a medium and a healer but again Ah. you didn't talk about it so it was you talked about it within the family, but you didn't go out and, you know, tell people no. what you saw because no section. Yeah, that's no, totally true. <laughs> when, I, when I used to hear things, when I, when I was a teenager and I would, I would hear spirit, I actually took myself off to the doctors because I thought I was ill. Yeah. And the doctor, I had a really good doctor, luckily, and he said, well, what are the voices saying? Anything horrible? I said, no, they tell me about the day or the place I'm in or, you know, where I am or things I shouldn't do or things that would be good to do. And he said, well, I wouldn't worry about it. And he like, sent me off. Um, but I found out later that he was actually a spiritualist, which oh. GPs don't talk about. So I was oh. lucky that I didn't get someone different because it, it is weird as a kid when you're even if you've got people in your family, you know, it's it's a strange life, isn't it, when you're seeing those different dimensions? It is. I used to see pets that had passed. Oh. I didn't understand why people were upset because the dog had died, but I could see the dog. Yeah. yeah. So to me, it was really confusing because I was thinking, well, why? You know, and then as I got older, then I realised, you know, obviously it's a spirit. And then I started going to a spiritualist church when I was in my teens. And, and I thought, this really isn't for me. Mm. So I kind of closed it all down, yeah. but then it came back with a vengeance because it doesn't, it never leaves you. It just no, it doesn't. It, waits, it so waits until you're ready and then it comes back. Yeah, so, that's my experience. Did you ever meet any other mediums outside of your family so you could get help with opening up, closing down and all that kind of thing? Oh, I mean, I only went once and I picked a, a, a bad night really mm-hmm. because I was only a teenager and I, it was a trans mediumship night oh gosh that's quite overwhelming and that wasn't the best thing to do you know because I just thought no no this isn't for me at all no <laughs> but no. I used to get a lot of deja vu I used to get deja vu I used to get dreams and dream of spirit people and they would be telling me things in my dreams so I suppose in a subtle way they were keeping me open yeah you know I didn't really take the bull by the horns until I was in my 30s really and was that around the same time as all that happened at the at the supermarket? Was it, was it at the superstore? Was that did that kind of trigger you to start investigating yeah. it more? It did, um, and then we had an aunt, an aunt that passed, um, and I saw her um, after she'd passed, and I didn't know she'd passed at the time. And oh I saw gosh, followed. So, but then she went, and I thought that was really strange. She looked like my aunt, and then I found out, you know, she hadn't even had a funeral. Wow. So, I know. She but comes to see you. Yeah. But when I was younger, the, the strangest thing, the bit that took me a little bit by surprise was I was in a car with my father and some family members. We were going round the back country lanes and it was dark. And I saw what looked like the Grim Reaper stood on the side of the road on the corner. Ooh. Now, I wasn't the only one to see it. My sister saw it and my cousin saw it. We all saw the same thing. Because people oh. were like, did you see that? And they were like, yeah, did you see that? And then we all described it. Now, the funny thing was, four years ago, I had a car crash on that very same corner, and I had a head-on collision. And I walked away pretty much unscathed. I mean, I've Jeez. damaged my neck. But, you know, when you just think, that is so weird. <laughs> That's so that bad. is really weird. And then 30-something years later, 
I had a car crash. And I wonder if that's like a black spot for accidents. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I've just been lucky. But the funny thing is, as I was getting out of the car, a white feather dropped as well. How beautiful. Yeah, I thought. You you were looked after. The car was a write off. (laughs) Sometimes you look at cars and you wonder how anyone's got out alive, don't you? I know. You know, wow. That's incredible. So, mm-hmm. when was your first paranormal investigation, and what was it like? Well, we would, we discussed it on the night shift, Bev and I, and I, I thought, oh, how how good would it be to actually catch some evidence to actually go look yeah. at? I mean, there's only so much you can do in the supermarket. We'd love to go <laughs> to work, you know, and, and see if we could have caught Fred, but obviously yeah. that wasn't going to happen. So I trudged through the internet and found haunted locations close to where we lived. And I booked one and it was a old miners welfare hall in a little village and it was supposed to be haunted. So I took a camcorder, which I already had. I bought a K2 meter. Didn't have a clue really what I was doing with it, but I bought one and <laughs> voice recorder and we hired it and we dragged some people along. And that was our first ever investigation. I wasn't so much scared, but after I'd listened to the, I watched the handy cams back, we'd caught a man's voice. And we, he was groaning. It wasn't a mo- it wasn't a voice actually. It was a groan. He was moaning that we were there, basically. Wow. So we'd recorded it for four hours and caught about thirty seconds of an EVP of a man, and that was it. That was the start of it. And it so, was the beginning because then that must have set off a real fascination and a hunger, really, for finding out more and more evidence. And because you knew, being a medium, you knew there was spirit. But yeah. it's then translating that and sharing that with other people and having proof because you're a very yeah. grounded person, aren't you? And you're, you, you, you back up what you do. You're not, you're yeah. not, from what I've watched of your videos with Spectre Detectors and listened to in interviews, you're not going there to provoke. And this is one thing that made me want to interview you actually right. is that I heard you in another interview and you were very respectful to spirit. Mm-hmm. And you go in and you're actually talking to them as you would me. And yeah. that's something that I really believe is important because the amount of paranormal investigators that, oh, I'm not, obviously I'm not going to name anyone, but you know no, what no. I mean. They go in and yeah. they provoke and, they, uh, and, they, and they're quite aggressive and they can be quite unpleasant actually. Mm-hmm. And that's even on some programs. And I, I, it really upsets me because it doesn't matter who that spirit is, I think we should be dealing with them with respect. Yeah, exactly. Totally. I mean, even when I've dealt with, I mean, we've, we've investigated Jack the Ripper at Whitechapel. I was still respectful to him. You know, I what never, was that like? Well, it was surreal, to be honest with you, because we're from the County Durham and we, I don't even know how we came about it. I think it was because Bev had always had a, a, a kind of a fascination and said, I'd love to. I'd love to investigate Whitechapel. I'd love to go to mm. London. And then it kept popping up on my Facebook page all the time, things to do with Whitechapel and the Whitechapel Museum, mm. you know, the Jack the Ripper Museum. And, and then I made in a few inquiries and I came across um, a guy who'd released a book called Name and Jack the Ripper. And he had done DNA and he had a shawl. That ended, it was I think I've be- heard of that, yeah. yeah. And it was Russell Edwards is the guy. That's um, it. I know, I know who you yeah. mean. And I, I looked him up and I thought, oh, he does tours. He does ripper tours. So I had an idea in my head about getting a bus down there, finding accommodation, seeing if Russell would just give us a tour, but a tour with a twist. And I had a word with him and he was like, yes, absolutely, come down. I said, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to know anything, 
I don't want you to do the two guide yeah. thing. Yeah. I want to come down, see what we can find out, and then you tell us if we're right or if what we mm. picked up was right. Uh, yeah, all for it. So we went down a couple of years ago and it was amazing. Oh. But we went not to find out who Jack the Ripper was. We went to talk to the victims. We wanted to find out the victims' side. I got know, something to tell you, which is a weird synchronicity. When I, when I couldn't see, I lost my sight about 11 years ago. And I can see you now, but I was left blind for four years. And while I couldn't see, I traced my family tree. And when I was tracing my family tree, I could feel people lined up behind me. And I would get told information to look at on the internet. And anyway, I found my great, great uncle. His name's Edward Badham. And he was the policeman that removed Mary Jane Kelly's body. <gasps> He removed three of the victims and he actually spoke up at the inquests. And one of the locations, Duckfield's Yard, which isn't there anymore. I am a Duckfield. My husband is Duckfield. And the people that own Duckfield's Yard are our ancestors of my husband. <laughs> how weird is that? How, how weird? i tell you what's even weirder. My mother-in-law was called Mary Kelly. What? The synchronicities are just weird, aren't they? How you it, meet people and yeah. And the funny thing was, as we were going around, we were talking. The, I mean, I'm not a fantastic medium. There are excellent mediums in our group. We all said a little bit, but some were like, "Whoa!" I mean, Hannah yeah. and Dean were the the. I mean, even Russell, his you know his jaw was on the floor. Oh, and we fantastic. took the portal. We took the portal as well, and so they were talking through it. So we were saying, as Russell got the story right, and they were saying, yes. I mean, it's all recorded. It's all on YouTube, if you ever want to see it. Fantastic. And then there was one, and, and there were certain things, dates, like my son's birthday was one of the victim's birthdays. My mother-in-law was Mary Kelly, you know, all of those things. And then he, yes, he said to me, Lynn, he said, you look like Martha Tabram. And he showed me a photo in his book, and I paused as, it sounds awful, and it's not disrespectful, but I paused as she was in the mortuary, and honestly, it's like I know the part. picture you mean as well. Yeah, there yeah. is a definite similarity. Yeah. And I was thinking, this is so bizarre. Mm. So actually, we were lucky. He did come through. I mean, I know everybody has their own thoughts on the Ripper and who the Ripper was. But obviously, Aaron Kosminski was the one that Russell mm. tracked it back to. So I asked and, and the victims actually said Kosminski. Kosminski. Wow. Did Aaron. you catch that on recording? Yeah, all of that's on wow. recordings. Yeah. Um, and then one of the mediums picked up that Mary Kelly was probably pregnant and felt that it could be his baby. And she said, in my stomach, he took it away. And they're on recordings as well. So it, wow. it did get bizarre. And then obviously, I know people have the thoughts and they're like, no, it wasn't them. It was someone else. Da, 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 da. I only go off what spirit tell me. I didn't go there to, to prove who Jack the Ripper was. That's not what I went about. I wanted to get, because everybody writes about Jack the Ripper, I wanted to get the victim side. Yeah. You know, they were ladies. They had a hard time. Most of them, you know, things, awful things happened to them in their life and, and that led them to the path that they took. And I wanted yeah. to find out about them. So that's Absolutely. What it was about. And there was a there there was a lot of um mistruths told as well because people think that they were all prostitutes, but they weren't. There were normal women there that were victims as well. Yeah. Um it was it, it's a fascinating case. And I, I have to tell you, when I was doing my family tree and I was following that line and I was following Edward Badham, my my great great uncle, 
and following his line and trying to find his story, I started to get really uneasy. I had um, I was getting a black figure on the landing in my house and it was actually warning me off looking mm. and it yeah, made me I stop looking. Really? Yeah. yeah. We For a little while, we were getting plagued a little bit by the ripper. We, I think that's the shadows. It it's because as soon as you get anywhere near the truth, and again, with the Mary Ann Cotton case, and well, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They come very close. And I think it is, it's to try and stop you. It's to scare you off and think, you know, you're getting a little bit too close here and I don't mm. like it. And, and that's Yeah, I agree. And I and I, it scared me because it would stand outside my daughter's bedroom. And that's when I thought, Do you know what, this just isn't worth yeah. it. I'm letting it go. And I just stopped looking. But um, I'd been fascinated with Jack the Ripper since I was a child, no surprise. And I grew up in London. But... Um, it was just, yeah, just the synchronicities. And, and I did watch a couple of the bits on YouTube that you've done. And, yeah, it's just extraordinary. And it, it is. We it, were supposed to carry the story on this year. We were supposed to go to the asylum where Aaron Kosminski went. Oh, but my obviously God, the pan, really? The pan, <laughs> yeah, that's scary. The pan, but then the pandemic hit, so we couldn't go. So that's next year we're going to have to go. But I've got an expert again who's going to show us. I mean, most of it's not there now. He's going to show us around the areas and again just to see what we can pick up and to see yeah. if we can carry the, the story on. But I think that's a that's fabulous, it. but asylums they frighten the bejesus out of me, <laughs> out of yeah, any way you could go and do an investigation. <laughs> yeah, Doors and prisons. A, we went to Shepton Mallet Prison, I think I told you when we were messaging the other night, and it was I didn't feel anything, and I'm sure it's because I put so much protection around myself. <laughs> I did not want to feel anything there because my husband got, he had loads of feelings and, and my daughter did, but I, no, I think I just literally put myself a brick wall around me. Oh. <laughs> I know, I, mean, I just it's, was like, no. <laughs> it's, it's not the easiest place. It's because they just, they've got awful tales, haven't they? It's just all war. It's not, it's not all sweetness and light. It's, it's just awful. No, absolutely not. So, from doing that Jack the Ripper investigation, because that's quite a big thing to get involved in, I guess you were looking at more and more different stories that you could go and investigate, because something gives me a feeling, like I've got a real deep feeling there is an investigator inside you. It's like I could imagine you being a police investigator as well. It's like you want to get to the to the truth in the story. I can just you feel that's really ingrained yeah, in yeah. you. I just love the history. I love to find out about the people. I love to find out about the history. Mm. Anywhere. I'll investigate anywhere. I mean, even people say to me, yeah, but that place isn't old. It doesn't have to be old. No. No, but absolutely Anybody not. can pop in. Anybody from the area can can see that you're shining a beacon of light and can be absolutely. drawn to that light. Yeah, yeah. And they all have a story to tell, even nasty stories. It's still a story, you know. You, have you ever been terrible. scared when you've been on an investigation? Has there been anything that's kind of really stopped you? And uh, yeah. and and can you share any any? Of I can. We we went to Thirty East Drive, Pontefract. Have you heard of that one? <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling a face, <laughs> listener. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I kept saying Thirty East Drive, and it's not a cheap place to hire. It's just an empty council house and it's not a cheap place to hire. Because that's their business, isn't it? It is I mean, their business. That's what they do. And I thought, oh, I'm not paying that. I'm not paying that to, to, to mm. go. And my husband that said, Elaine, it's supposed to be Britain's most haunted house. As a paranormal investigator, you have to go. And <laughs> even if it's rubbish, you have to, to go and say you've been. So 
we travelled down to Pontefract, it was a good two, two and a half hours from us. Mm. Met the neighbour, she led us in, walked in, and it literally is a chintzy council house. That's all it is. Nobody lives in there. So I went with this idea that this is going to be absolute rubbish. This is no expectations at all. Yeah. Probably the worst expectations. Anyway, as you know, we set up CCTV camera and recording devices and everything. If there was something in there, I was going to catch it. So we were setting up, just minding our own business. I hadn't even watched the film because there is a film when the lights went out. That's yep. based on 38 Drive. So we were setting away and I was walking up the stairs and something punched me in the stomach oh wow so then i thought okay you have my attention now yeah you've got my attention and i was on my guard we didn't dare go to the toilet alone that night there was 10 of us all mediums all just the regular group no public nothing just went thought if we're going to investigate it we're going to investigate it soundly we were in pairs we never slept we stayed awake all night. We left at about five in the morning because we'd investigated it as much as we possibly can. But there was all sorts happened to us that night. Hannah's leg was dragged as she was walking up the stairs. So it was pulling it. Um, something banged on the one of the, um, the chest of drawers in the bedroom. And we all mm. made a stampede out and nearly pushed Hannah down the stairs. Honestly, it was like Scooby-Doo. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny and hilarious to watch. But that night, I, fought, I caught a full-bodied apparition walk across the living room on CCTV. Wow, did you? So the, yeah, so it was featured on a TV programme. Because when you go to 30 East Drive, you have to sign a form to say that they have the rights to everything. They have the rights really? to all footage, yeah. So he didn't even tell me that it was going on, the TV. It was when somebody messaged me on Facebook and said, is that not your footage? And I thought, bloody hell. It's a bit cheeky. I've got better, I've got better told footage you. than that. I've, I've cleaned it up since then. If he'd only asked, he could have had, it. Could have had better, better footage. So, yeah. So, yes, it, my footage that, has been on the ITV. 30 East Drive was about yeah. a monk, wasn't it, that had killed yes. a little girl, am I right? Yeah. yeah. And that he was haunting that because there was a friary or something on that land where those houses now are. So yeah. do you think that apparition was him walking through the room? As it's, it's hard, hard to, to say because he didn't actually wear, he didn't have a hood up or anything. It just looked like a figure. You can even see his arm moving as he's walking. But they call this it's black monk Fred. It's funny, Fred follows me around. For Fred again, yeah. Fred. <laughs> but the, the, the guy actually told us he's called Michael. So he's not even called Fred. He's called Michael. It's definitely haunted because I know a lot of people on Facebook say, no, it's all staged. There was nothing staged that night. I mean... How could you stage catching a figure on CCTV? But I mean, well, I even can't. had people saying, I even had people saying to me, you fake that. I can't even work Zoom. It's taken me 20 minutes to load this on my phone. <laughs> and the thing is, they're missing the point is that you're there because you want to catch footage. The minute yeah. you start to fake it, that's that goes against everything that you you and your group are about anyway. And I, exactly. I guess you've just got to ignore those people because I think there's just some people that aren't ready to see the reality of the fact there are different dimensions going on. There no. are, um, and they're just not ready, are they? So No. Um, but but, we caught a, a lot of EVPs that night as well. Some swearing. They weren't all lovely. But, yeah, that, because we I don't know why, but we, we seem to have such really good success with 
voices. I was just about to say that. You do, don't you? Why do you, do you know why that is? Do you think it's just the energy of your group or? I don't know. It's taken a long, long time to get to where we are. And I know they say practice makes perfect, but I believe that you have to work at something. The spirit world do not give you something handed to you on a plate. They make you work for it. They teach you patience. Boy, do they teach you patience. Yeah. And we, it started out when, like I say, like I said earlier on, we caught a voice that very first night. It was 30 seconds. That's all it was, but it was a voice. And that's progressed over nine years. That's progressed. We now catch, I mean, 30 a night sometimes. Because just recently you've been sharing a lot from Jimmy Allen's. What is Jimmy Allen's? Could you tell, tell us about that? Jimmy Allen's is now a nightclub in Durham. And it was the House of Correction in the 1600s. It was Durham's first. Oh. So nobody really knows that. They just think it's a nightclub under the bridge. I mean, it's lovely. It's, it's lovely. It's creepy. It's old. It's dank. It, it's good. <laughs> you know, it's it's lovely, lovely to me. It's lovely to me. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're a paranormal investigator, it's heaven. <laughs> well, we were lucky. We went there a good few years ago. And we had no equipment, really. We had no CCTV. We were really just... When I think now, we were rubbish. But that night again, we caught a child crying. We caught a child crying on camcorder. And it was, we tried to go back. And for some reason, we were never allowed. The new owner didn't want it. It was a nightclub. We couldn't work out a time that suited us both. Because investigating somewhere that's a nightclub is a nightmare. Because they're open till the early hours in the morning. Yeah. Anyway, it closed and new owners took took it took it over so i contacted them and they jumped at the chance and said yeah we'd love to we'd love to learn Fantastic. about it so in this nightclub if you look to the right and nobody ever does there is a tunnel and the original cells are up there but nobody knows about it so i'd been talking to cheryl who owns it now and she said you know i had a really weird experience and i said what was the weird experience she went i went to the toilet and i came out and i heard a little girl crying and you'd and already said, caught that yeah and I said wow. right and she went it's it was through the night Elaine we were we were doing renovations it was through the night there's no child anywhere and I, I sent her the footage and she said that's the child I heard that's incredible so, so we went back I mean I'm still watching the footage now because I think I've got about 12 hours left to watch oh gosh <laughs> the footage yeah but as we were as we were packing up Unfortunately, we'd stopped the recording devices, but we heard the same girl cry as we were packing up. Did you ever find out who she is or why she's there? I've got to do that yet. But they used to lock people up. But actually, they didn't use to, obviously, they used to lock people up. It was a prison. But if you owed money or anything like that, they would make your wife and your, your child go in. Yeah. Until you paid and awful things happened to them. So I don't know whether... Something's happened to this child, and I need to find it. We did. We did come across a little boy um, who was abused sexually whilst he was in there. See, that's what I mean. It's never easy. These things. It's, it's not because you're going into places that hold, so, like you said about the history. And I, I do really truly believe that people's experiences are held within a building. Oh yeah. You know they they are, and for the spirits that are left behind where they're stuck. it's really unpleasant for them and they're just reaching out for someone do you ever get involved in spirit rescue or do you ever get people in to help we have i have on occasion i mean obviously the mary ann cotton story goes down that that route but what would i try to say to them 
is why are you here? Why do you feel that you have to be here? And sometimes that's all it takes. I was say, where do you want to be? You've got to be. So, what do you want in here? It's it's an old prison. Yeah, it's awful. You know, question. why don't you want to go and play somewhere? Why don't you go want to go with you know? And sometimes, sometimes that works. The power of persuasion, because yeah. a lot of the times when we talk to spirits, they're just visiting anyway. They yeah. don't reside there, and they'll just pop in. And they say to me, "I'm tired. I'm going." And I'll say, "All oh, right, okay then. Bye then." And they say it all the time through the portal. They'll say, "Bye. Good night." All right. Nice do you get here. do you get physical phenomenon on investigations? Because I was I went to stay at a haunted pub on Friday um, with my husband for our anniversary, like you do, oh, and you do. Um, yeah, and we both saw and not I see things being a medium. I see things in my mind's eye or whatever. But for Jason to see it as well is is you know even better. And we were both stood, there was a four-poster bed in there. It's called the Lady Jane Grey suite. And Lady Jane Grey had stayed there. I had no idea that people had done seances in there, Ouija boards in there. I had no idea. But I took all my bits that I take with me when I'm going to stay anywhere like that. And I'd put protection around myself and all this. We stood by the poster bed and we're looking over. And you you heard footsteps go across, boom, 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 boom. And we both watched the kettle be flicked down the light come on and we both went Ooh, and we're looking at it and then it flicked it back off and then there was a plate with cups on it and that slid across and we both yes. saw it and most people would be frightened by that we weren't we were like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but all night lights were coming on and off things were moving you could hear people walking around the room it was really physical there mm-hmm. um have you had experiences like that while you've been doing investigations yeah. I mean, we, again, another thing that we do a lot of lately, and it works for some, some think it's rubbish, we do table tipping. Now, yeah. we tried table tipping for years, and it never worked. It never worked. And one of my guides, <laughs> one of my guides is a hell's angel, believe it or not. I do believe it. <laughs> Everyone else has Indians. I have a hell's angel. <laughs> and, he, and he said to me, you need your own table, Elaine, you're doing it wrong. You're trying to use everybody else's table, buy your own table. How interesting. And you need to build up your own energy in your own table. Yeah. And I thought, right, okay. So the next day I went out and I bought some tables and they were just the foldy up ones, you know, they're not very expensive, carry them around. It it now spins on one leg. In fact, I've got four tables and we all do it and I let the public do it and try it so that they don't think it's just me and I'm making it happen and and I always and it's the kids love it and I say make it dance like a ballerina make it pirouette and they do and then one time somebody's it was one of the public events and the grandfather came and they used to dance there it was an old dance and he made the table dance all around the room so if I put music on if I put a waltz on or something like that honestly the table just I mean, this is this is physical mediumship because I've seen this in in seance conditions at at different centres, trance centres and things. And it's actually extraordinarily hard to build up that energy, which suggests that you have physical mediumship abilities because otherwise the energy wouldn't be able to move through you, which is probably why the EVP works so well as well, because that, again, is physical phenomena. Yeah. The strangest thing that ever happened to me was... um, we went to the Real Mary King's Close at Edinburgh 
I don't know whether you've ever been there. No, the I haven't. I haven't. It's no. the underground city. It was a plague city. Ah, oh, I've heard about this, yes. Well, we hired it, or I hired it for the night. Wow. Because I wanted to go and investigate it. We went, I went with my husband, and we, he hates anything paranormal, you know. He absolutely hates it. And we went anyway. Elaine, I feel sick in here. I have to go. Now, he is quite sensitive, but he doesn't admit it. So that made me think, oh, I wonder if I could hire that for the night and take the group. <laughs> and that's what we did. Now, that, that night was extraordinary as well, because I was shown various things. Obviously, that wasn't a very nice place. It was all thieves and prostitution and hard lives. And, and I was shown somebody. They showed me somebody having a nail pushed through their hand like a crucifixion. Oh, but it was no. a punishment. So somebody had, must have been caught stealing or something mm. and they had a, a nail whacked through the hand and I felt it. And it was Shana, mm. another one of the group, that said, Elaine, have you seen your hand? And my hand came up like a pudding. My no. hand smelled. Yeah. yeah. So everybody physical was taking photos. Yeah, physical. And everyone was taking photos of it. And I was like, my hand really, really hurt. It really hurt. Mm. So as soon as I stepped out and stepped back in, my hand went normal. Mm. And it was... We cleared it. But we, Dean, the only man on the investigation, took a photo with a normal camera that night and caught a man. He took the photo and caught a man. It was in the playroom. This man had a donkey jacket on and a flat cap, like a miner. Wow. The surroundings at all. But And I sent it because, obviously, Dean was over the moment that we were. The guides couldn't believe it. Two young girls took us as guides and just, I think, we frightened them to death. They probably handed them <laughs> And I was so, so happy for Dean because it was amazing. And I sent it everywhere, thinking the papers will be all over this. Nobody printed it because they thought it was fake. You're caught between a rock and a hard place, aren't you? <laughs> evidence when you get it. It's so easy for people to chuck that at you, isn't it? It's like, no, that's so too frustrating. Good. Yeah, oh. frustrating. <laughs> I suppose the people that are meant to see it and realise it's real will see it and realise it's real and everyone yeah. else can just bugger off. <laughs> so what, what, what led you to Mary Jane Cotton? Because this has been a real project of yours, hasn't it? Um, how long have you been working on that and what made you because as I'm talking to you I'm feeling I do get I do get little messages from spirit when I'm doing interviews and I'm really getting a strong one to do with either your dad or your granddad and Mary Jane Cotton mm -hmm. so I just wonder if you could tell me why you started investigating her and um, and what that's been like well nobody really knows the story about Mary Ann Cotton um, she's a serial killer, a Victorian serial killer. Right. She's supposed to have murdered up to 21 people, including her children, her husbands, a mum, various people. So being from the northeast, she's a bit of a, not, a, not a, like a folklore or anything, but everybody knows about Mary Ann Cotton. And a house still stands where she was arrested from, and it's literally two really? miles from me. Yeah. So, wow. My dad was from West Auckland, and every time we went past, he used to say, that's where Mary Ann Cotton lives, every single time, without fail. That's where Mary Ann Cotton lives. She killed her children, you know, and she, you know the same old story. Oh, Dad, tell me about Mary Ann Cotton. Well, she killed her children, and she hung in Durham Prison. And this house was always painted a different colour, and it's three stories high. It sticks out like a sore thumb, to be fair. Um, so it happened where we were asked, I was asked by a lady, 
who was lived there who was moving out because she couldn't stand Hortons any longer. I was going to say, does anyone live there? Yeah, it, somebody still lives there now. Someone's always lived there. Because a but lot of said, the houses, like the West House, like the Fred and yeah, Rose West, they knock them down, don't they? But that one's obviously mm, been left. It's still there. So, of course, me being me and always knowing the tale, I said, oh, we'd love to come. But a part of me was apprehensive because it's a serial killer's house and, yeah. you know, it's still got to go. And then um, we really put a lot of, it was four years ago and um, it was a, there was a, a well-known Northeast medium. I won't mention it because she, she doesn't like to be associated with it so much now. And we decided we would go. Um, but before we did, my dad said to me, I know where the children were buried, you know, where the bodies were exhumed from. No way. To check for arsenic poisoning because my my granddad, kids, you'll get the granddad link, was there at the exhumation and it, and nobody knows Whoa, where it is. Oh, goosey! And because of body snatchers, nobody. Oh, it's yeah, of course. So my dad, who's eighty four, took me and showed me exactly where they, he said, "I'll never forget it. This is where they they buried." You know, so we. I knew where they were and my dad also told me when he lived at West Auckland he was young he used to see a little boy looking at them from the window and really? he was a spirit he was a spirit boy but he didn't really know it at the time so anyway I go back to my story so I went with the medium and I took her to the cemetery and she said don't tell me where they're buried I want to see if, I, if they will show me where they're buried anyway they did she picked it up it was, it was the most weirdest thing. It wasn't a disrespectful thing. We didn't go to investigate a cemetery because I just don't do that. We went to see if we could pick anything up before we went to the house. So we because up... she, she needed a strong link with their spirits in order for yeah. you to go and do the investigation and help, didn't you? Yeah. So we went around and we ended up doing a kind of a little tour of West Auckland and she was picking up various things. She knew where the children were would have probably gone to school mm. and she knew she picked up on the old memorial hall and she did the strong links here, Elaine, I'm I'm sensing that hall's haunted. Now, we ended up investigating that hall, and that is part of the Mary Ann Cotton story, but opposite the hall, there is a bench. That bench gets called Mary's Bench because it's where she lived before moving to Front Street, so she'd murdered in that house on Johnson Terrace. Wow. So that was before we even went, and then we investigated. all these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle are kind of coming together. It's almost like you're being shoved to do this, isn't it? Yeah. They were showing us all these paths before we'd even gone. So Bev and I went to the house to see see the the tenant and just have a little bit of a chat before we went. Mm. Lovely, quaint little place. You would never imagine who lived there. You honestly wouldn't. It was something like... Some lovely cottage you'd had the original beams and everything, the original fireplace, gorgeous. Didn't so, have a weird feeling? Did it? It did. The, the higher you went up at the house, it did. Right. The not when you first went in, it was like. No, yeah. it wasn't because I, 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 I'd expected to feel a little bit more than yeah. I did. I thought, this is really yeah. cozy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could probably live in here. Yeah. Um, but they had a problem with the top floor. Now, I smelt incense as soon as I walked upstairs. Now, my guide at the time, who I haven't really seen since, was a geisha. Now, she used to know that, make me know that she was around by the smell of incense. Right. She used to always let me smell incense. So I thought, oh, if my guide's here, <laughs> this is, I need to be a little bit more cautious yeah. Yeah. up here. And she had an issue with the cupboard door. She used to hang crystals on it, but she wouldn't tell me why. She said, but I will take those crystals off when you come to investigate. So we left, all excited, planned it. All went. Now, there's 12 of us 
10 were mediums. Um, wow. The rest used to come on regular events with me. And I thought, well, you know, they've come with us for years. I'm not going to investigate somewhere like this and not not have this. And you need people on. around you you could trust. So you know yep. no one's saying anything, no one's being silly. And yeah. Plus, I wanted people there that if the worst thing happened, they wouldn't freak yeah. out. Yeah. You know, I wanted them to be in to have, have experienced enough to they wouldn't do the fight fight or flight. Yeah. You know, <laughs> didn't want to stampede in the house. Anyway, when we <laughs> investigated it, again I recorded everything, CCTV'd everything, thought if there's something in here, I'm gonna catch it. And as soon as I set up the voice recorder, I mean I won't go too much into it because it's all in the book and I'd be here for hours and hours. But as soon as I, when I listened to it back recently, it said they're here. Wow. And it was a chat it was a child. They're here. Oh. So it was like they were waiting to tell the story. Now one of the Hortons was an angry man who used to stomp his feet at the top floor where we didn't like it. He I caught his stomping of feet on the voice recorder. Amazing. So again, but but after that investigation, things went a bit sour. I had a visit from Mrs. Cotton herself. She told me I shouldn't call her Mary Ann. You refer to me as Mrs. Cotton and I'll speak to you when Did I'm good you? and ready. Mm. Where were and you I when thought, she came to you that first time? Were you at home or were you at the Yeah, I was building? at home. I was at home, in bed. We'd investigated everything. It was the most, it was an awful night. It was just child murder that had been, you know, all of that kind of thing going on. It's it was very intense. intense. It, was, it was really intense. The kids mm. were sad on the EVPs. We caught screaming, Aww. really gut-wrenching screaming as well. That must and, have been horrid. And then as we were coming up, because obviously we hadn't heard that at the time, it was enough, it was bad enough trying to talk to the kids because I was on their level. I was even under the bed with one of them because he wanted me to go and hide under the bed. And I was saying, I'm too fat. I'm too fat to get under the bed. And he found it hilarious. <laughs> and that's why he wanted me to come under. And he was, he was tickling my feet and things under the bed. It was oh. weird. So as I drove home, it was the only investigation in all of these years that I cried. I cried. Oh driving home because it was so because we we had moved them on in the end we, we you know we got their trust even the angry man who didn't want to go he was adamant he wasn't going to go he went and we said because again we said why are you here is there some family member he was so angry and full of self-pity and just wanted to wallow but the thing is mm. he was making everybody else's life a misery because he didn't yeah. want anybody there he just wanted the house for himself to just you know be and in the end he went and it, the light on the CCTV, the light came through on the in the room. The darkness oh. went. The light went. It was it was just a, a very phenomenal thing. And then obviously things went. Mrs. Cotton wasn't ready, and things went a little bit wrong. The tenant was getting sick of people coming to her door because ITV had put Dark Angel on the telly, so everyone was getting yeah. Because that what was that? Get, what's the actress's name? Is it Samantha something? It was the lady out of Downton Abbey. It was Joanne Froggart. That's it, Joanne Froggart. I never uh, watched it, but I remember seeing the adverts for it. Oh, you'll have to watch it. Yeah, I, uh, I you, didn't want to before I interviewed you because I thought, no, I want to just come in first. <laughs> see what it is. The only, bad, the only thing that was different was, because I watched it, when, um, when they arrested her, I said, that house isn't set up like that because I'd been. Oh. And I said that the door's in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, that was, but every everything else was pretty much right. Just wow. the house, 
so obviously they hadn't been able to get access maybe to the house that she was arrested from and they had to guess or something, I don't know. So but, um, did you build a relationship with Mrs Cotton, we should call her? Did you build a well, relationship with her of a sort? It was, a, it was some kind of relationship. I won't call us friends. I mean, I, I always respected her, even in the investigation. I never said, you murdered these children. I didn't. I just, again, I didn't go to talk to her. I went to talk to whoever, because yeah. the little boy was haunting the house. The man was haunting the house. And I was saying to them, tell us what happened. This is your time. This is your time to tell us, you know, was she Yeah, evil? you gave was them she... a voice. Yeah, you know. gave them a voice. Was she evil? Was she poorly? Did you know that this was happening to you? And it ended up where... It was quite intense. She didn't show up. She was nowhere to be seen, to be fair. She, was, she wasn't in the house. And then that's when she came to me and said, you refer to me as Mrs Cotton. And I thought, well, maybe back in those days, I would have called her Mrs Cotton. Yeah. I wouldn't have called her Mary Ann. So maybe I did overstep the mark there, but not intentionally. No. So I said to her, absolutely right, okay. Then she came back again and she showed me, and I can't work this out, she showed me, you know, the... Um, the crocheted things that they have on chair arms, you know, to protect yes, them. Yes. She showed, she showed me one of them. Okay. She showed me a silver tray. No idea. And she showed me that she'd written something on parchment paper. She'd folded it up and she'd put it in between the floorboards in the house. Now, <laughs> I haven't been back in the house to know if anybody ever found that note, but I have asked her about it since. Um, and that was it. And like I say, we had various problems. Things were going wrong. That's why I've named the book The Curse of Mary Ann Cotton because, believe me, I was cursed as well. Because just... I was, I was going to ask you that because I've done, I have done spirit rescue myself privately and and helped people. And I and one of the things that I train to do is spirit release. So I help if people have got a spirit attached to them or with them. That's one of my one of the things that I that I enjoy doing and that I seem to be quite good at is helping those spirit move on and really re removing them from whoever or whatever they're attached to because you must have had to be very careful especially with the children and with Marianne about them being attached to you following you home you yeah. and your team really yeah I mean we've, we've we've used the same opening and closing prayer in nine years and so far touch wood <laughs> everything's been fine so I you know, she popped in. She came to me in a dream state a couple of times. She has been to me when I've been in the bath. That's not so comfortable, in fairness, because you yeah. know you don't expect <laughs> you don't expect a visit when you're in the bath. Um, and she said all she had to say, and I accepted it. And I said I won't call you Marianne anymore. From now on, it's Mrs. Cotton. And to be Mrs. fair, Cotton. I have called called her Mrs. Cotton every time because she's come through a few times since on various investigations. The children have come through. Um, anytime we're local. And it's, they just pop in, and they'll just and I'll just say, "Can you remember us?" Yeah, we remember you. And so they just they just come to say hello, and they go, but they won't come if she's there. It's one or the other. Yeah, They're never together. So, what inspired you to write the book? And can you tell us a little bit about the book without giving too much away? Because you want away. people to read it. But what inspired you? Well, I was going to write about it when we first investigated. Um, and then when things went a little bit sour and, you know, it was starting to be more trouble than it was worth, I'd written, started writing it, but I'd put it away. I kept it on a memory stick and that was that. I never listened to any more footage. I just put it to bed and thought, that's not going to happen. I mean, Spirit even told me what they wanted me to call it. 
they wanted me to call it Enter in the Darkness. But I ended up calling my very first book, Enter in the Darkness, a paranormal, you know, but I just did, it wasn't anything to do with Mary Ann Cotton. So I left it. And then this year in the pandemic, a little voice inside my head was saying, it's time now. Yeah, now's it, the time. It, it's time now. Because she'd come through more and more and the children had come through more and more. And I thought, well, she did say that she would talk to me when she was good and ready. Maybe she's good and ready. She's Maybe ready. it's the time now. She's more accepting. She goes with it. She's fine. You know, She's she, trusting she, you because she sees what you're about. Yeah, she trusts us. So four, four years after the event, four or more years after the event, I found my little files from my voice recorder and thought, we're in a pandemic. I can't investigate. I'm going to listen to these now. I can't remember what happened. Well, I can remember what happened, but I couldn't remember details. And I listened to them and I found EVPs that I don't remember hearing before. That's interesting. So I don't know whether, because I broke two laptops trying to listen to this really? <laughs> before I stopped. It, that's another thing, cursed. I was breaking things like there was no tomorrow. Nobody wanted that releasing. They were doing whatever they could. To, and there's a certain time that you think, oh, no, they just have to stop. This This is... If, they, yeah. if they're that desperate to stop it, just stop it. But you're so. compelled, aren't you, to tell her story? Well, I am because I, I don't know why. It was just it was it was just so intense that night, and and we went through a hell of a lot to get the information that we got, and the spirits came through, and the and it was hard work for them. It was a delicate subject. They were talking about being poisoned. They were showing us what happened to them, the sickness mm. feeling, and the purging, and you know all oh. of them horrible things. And I thought, for what? What am I doing with it now? I can't share it with the world. You know they've told me for a reason. Otherwise, they would have just said nothing. Mm. They would have just kept every that you know people do have done investigations and caught nothing but we caught so much but do, uh, do you think you found out anything new i mean i don't mean to if there is don't tell me what it is but do you think you found stuff to add to her story from what was already in the public domain do you think it's about telling the story properly and and having letting them all have their voice why do you think you this has come to you now Again, it goes back to the Jack the Ripper thing. Everybody releases a book and it's about her mm. or him. Or, you know, they did this, they did that, they did that. What about the victims? Mm. Nobody's ever released anything and said, why is the angry man upstairs stomping his feet? Why? Why is the child sat looking through the spindles on the... Why does he push people down the stairs? Yeah. Why does he file things up? He's obviously... Why is he seen at the foot of the bed? Why do people see him at the window? Let's hear what he's got to say. Mm. What, he wants attention. He's got something to say. Let's hear what he has to say. So that's why I've released the book, because it's not about her as such. It's about them. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, there's already been controversy. People think she's innocent. People think she's guilty. People still argue about her. People say that would have been thrown out of court. Now she would never have been hung. Was she mentally ill? I didn't have any of those thoughts in my head when I went I went with I was completely on the fence and mm. you know something I'm still on the fence are I'm you still on the fence I am on the fence I do believe well the, the the victims told me that she did it I don't know why she did it was she mentally ill was that you know was she evil was mm. she poorly I don't know 
and she's never admitted it. All the conversations that I have had with her, she's never said, I'm going to hold my hands up and say I'm guilty. She hasn't. But does she think she's guilty? Because if she was ill, was she guilty? Was she, she wouldn't guilty? admit There's it. So many scenarios, isn't there? So will there only be one book? Do you think you'll write more than one book about her or do you think you're, you've kind of done that now? Did you get everything into that book that you wanted to get into it? I never say never because the book starts with the investigation of the house, but it goes on after because I've included when the spirit children have come, when she's come, what she had to say, what's come through the portal because we didn't so much have the portal and we had a spirit box, but we've moved on with technology. So she's come. She came to the Duncow pub, which we did in February because she was hung over the road. And the Duncow pub gets called the hangman's pub because the hangman oh. used to go for a drink before he went to hang her. And apparently he sold the rope from the noose in the pub as souvenirs because that's where money for old rope comes from. Yeah. The same, money for old rope. And he sold it. Now, since I've done the research, that rope went in the coffin with her. So so what did he sell? Because it wasn't her rope. Whoever bought it, they got a little bit <laughs> drunk. If it's, if it's framed somewhere, I don't know whose rope it is, probably from his garden. But um, <laughs> so I found all of these things. So she has, she is giving us snippets. She is telling us things. She told me it snowed the day that she went for trial from Durham to Bishop Auckland. It snowed. They didn't think they were going to get there. I, I love like, those beautiful bits of evidence where you can go and validate because it's not that you don't believe you're having that connection, but it doesn't yeah. matter how strong your mediumship is when you can actually validate those things. It's such a lovely feeling, isn't it? And that's why I like to use the portal. Now, people say, ooh, don't like the portal. Is it like a Ouija board? I don't believe so. I suppose it is kind of a tool. I choose not to use Ouija boards because they scare the life. No, I don't like them either. And I've seen what they leave behind. Now, when I use the portal, it is just a spirit box and it's plugged into a guitar amp and it takes out the background noise and it makes it easier to hear. Now, I, and you know, mediumship, I believe it wholeheartedly, but it's hard to prove to somebody else. Of course else. it is. Now, if you've got it from their voice, coming through what's like a hands-free phone from the spirit world and they're telling the story that's not me that's not me making it up you can believe it if you want yeah. I've had look I've had loved ones come through and I have to warn people it's extraordinary isn't it because don't, am I right in saying those portal boxes that you can actually hear the person's voice like it can pick yes. up accents and all As kinds of things yep and if they used to swear it swears oh boy it swears because people have said to me yeah but <laughs> radio frequency it's just a radio tune and it they does. don't swear I've on the radio never heard a radio say the words that, that thing i mean i have to knock it off sometimes because <laughs> i'll say you either stop it or i'm going to shut you down yeah and they do this they, they swear and they do it comes through in their voice because i was investigating once and someone's father came through now this lady was going to go and see a medium that next week now after i had investigated and she heard her dad's voice she didn't go and see the medium she didn't she need had to. everything she had everything she, and he even said his nickname oh, how beautiful oh that's fantastic I love and it. because i'd re record everything i'd recorded the whole thing and i sent it to her privately so she has a conversation with her dad from the spirit world in his own voice on a recording 
Oh, it's tremendous, isn't it? It's beautiful. I love spirits so much. They're fantastic. So what are Spectre Detectors? Because first of all, I just wanted to ask, what other books have you written? I mean, for my listener, where where can they read up about you and where can they find your books? And all what other books, books have you done? Oh, do I have to name them? I've got tons. lots. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. So they're all on Amazon. Um, and they're all on there. There's everything from the Black Monk of Pontefract. They're all in various books. I try and do them by area now. But there's Jack the Ripper. I've got the Ripper investigation that's on there. Mary Ann Cotton will be on there. Um, it, mostly it's based in the Northeast because that's where we are from. But we have done a, one of them, the Ghosts of the North Sea Coast. That's what I called it because oh, we, went down the, we went down the North Sea. So we started in Edinburgh. We worked our way down Newcastle, Castle Keep. And we made our way to Hull, and we even investigated Bram Stoker's apartment at Whitby, where he wow. wrote Dracula. Oh my gosh! So, so that it's that's on there as well. They so aren't every... profession... Go on, go on. They, they aren't professionally pub- published, so bear that in mind when you read them. They're very much as it happened. It's kind of like a diary, but I back yeah. everything up that they can see it all on YouTube. They can hear those conversations. Every time I said there's a portal session and this is what I said and this is what he said, you can hear that. It's all there. It's all so there. So it, it's phenomenal, really. I mean, 12 books. So things we've talked about in our interview, people can go and read the book. They can go and look yep. at the things on YouTube, which is fantastic. So the, the last thing I wanted to ask you, really, is what it's done for you in your life because... There's something that makes me feel as though Spectre Detectors, as much as it's been, you know, a hobby for you, it feels like it's so much more than that. What has it done for you? Because something's telling me I just want to ask that. Well, I work full time. We all work full time. We're either, I mean, Shana works as a teaching assistant. Bev works still at the supermarket where we used to work together. I work for the transport department of a Florida superstore. We all have jobs, but it's like having two jobs now. It's getting where it used to be a hobby. We used to do it the odd time, the odd one a month. Now it's getting where it's four, four a month, something like that, because people are asking us to go. We don't have to look so much for venues anymore or mm. try and convince people that we're not idiots and we're not fools and so now it's word of mouth and people say oh we have a ghost can you come can you come and, and see what who it is we'd love to know who it is and then of course because I added in the book now people are like oh you could come and I could we could be in your next book you know yeah. it's that kind of thing but then what you forget is yes it's a four-hour investigation and we give our evenings up we work full-time we give our yeah. weekends up yeah all evenings yeah up. yeah and it doesn't end there because I've got four CCTV cameras and two voice recorders recording four hours each. So on top of that, I've got something like 16 hours yeah. footage. It's a massive commitment, but you must it love it. A... You must love it in order to give it that. I do. And every now and again, spirit shut me down. Like I've had shingles four times. You know, it's kind of like if you Been won't there stop. myself, yeah. We'll stop. We're going to stop, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and for all this pandemic has been awful and it is awful and I have missed investigating so much I've never had so much time off but I've never researched for books as much as I have this year I've mm-hmm. gone through census I've found I've linked everything 
So for the last, because I've already released two books already this year, Mary Ann Cotton is the third. Prolific. This year. And I've got a one that's about ready to go and I've got one that's on hold. So for all I do, all of these investigations, I put them into slots. So I think that's Darlington, that's Hartlepool, that's Bishop Auckland. Right, when I've got enough, I'll... You're prolific. When... It's amazing. You're amazing. Oh, it's just really that I, and then it, then you give yourself added pressure because you think these people are waiting to listen to that book. I can't wait until next year to release it. I've got to do what I can now, you know. So, so tell me about tell me about Mrs. Cotton, her book, The Curse of Marianne Cotton. That's you were saying before. That's people can pre-order it now, and then then it comes yeah. out on Halloween, which it is, comes out on Halloween, which which is her birthday. birthday. Um, and, and I toyed with the idea of that because I thought, are people going to think that I'm celebrating a birthday? Am I celebrating yeah. the birth of a serial killer? So there's all of these questions. You've got to think how people react in such strange ways. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that I sent it to a publisher and a publisher usually takes six weeks. This one took 18 weeks. So there was a delay there. So it's kind of like everything's happening now so maybe she wants it published on her birthday yeah maybe it's kind of out thinks, of your hands in a way maybe she thinks if you're going to do this you're going to do it on my birthday i, I don't know <laughs> i have no idea we're not going to so, argue yeah. with her that's for sure no, she's very much in charge <laughs> not me mrs cotton has final say um so yes it just and then of course i proof i proofread it and then I sent for another copy and then I proofread it again and found other things that I wanted to change. Then I spoke to somebody who actually lived in the house in the 90s. So I got their experiences oh, and wow. I could compare their experiences to our experiences. Then I added that in. Then I found and I looked at names that people were getting and I thought, I'll just check that one more time on the census. And then I was finding other people with the same name. That was, and I was thinking, oh, this is just never ending. It's just, but I think, I think I've got everything that I need to. But as for when you said before, is there another book? <laughs> Who knows? Watch is this space. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it just could be. I mean, obviously, we won't ever get back to go to the house and we won't write about the house again. But she lived everywhere. She lived down south. She lived at Seaham. She lived at Sunderland. She lived at Northumberland. I don't know if I'm ever going to go to somewhere where she lived before or you know she was married four or five times the last one was bigamist she was some girl mrs cotton she um (laughs) definitely traveled wow and it's sad really because whatever happened to make her commit the crimes that she made you can't you can't help but admit the woman was extraordinary although she's extraordinary in, in a in a very unpleasant way you wonder if if fate had just treated her differently, she could have been quite a formidable and extraordinary woman in many other ways. Yeah, just took the wrong path. I don't know whether the first one was an accident and then she got away with it. She Something, got away with it for a long, long time. Maybe, yeah. And um, maybe she got complacent. I mean, in the end, the, how she was arrested was she had a stepson and she tried to put him in the workhouse. She wanted rid of him. She tried to put him in the workhouse. And they said, if he, if he's coming, you're coming. And she said, no, I won't. He won't be around for very long anyway. So, so that kind of, not them exact words. And I think he was dead four days later or something. Really? So, yeah, I think she said he'll go, the, 
she said it'll go the same way as the other cottons have and she'd murdered her husband so bold. bold yeah and i think that's how she so was she mentally ill is that the way you act you know it's like she was she wanting to be caught i don't know because hmm. there was just no no hiding it it was quite you know blatant in the end i think yeah it's a strange story very strange fascinating you've been an amazing guest i've loved our conversation <laughs> I, I i we could talk for days i'm sure and I just, yeah, I just, I've really enjoyed it. I'm so grateful for you joining me and for sharing Thanks just for a bit me. of your story. I, I just really, I would implore my listener to to read these books and find out more about Spectre Detectives because trust me, you will not be disappointed. This this is amazing work. It's treasure in paranormal investigating and it's got real integrity and real, there's love there. There's love for the subjects and there's love for the work that you're doing. And that's what makes it special, I think. Yes. So we've got those three questions that I ask every single guest that comes on the show that I um, sent you earlier. And the first one of those is a book that you'd recommend that isn't one of yours, one that you would recommend to my listener to do with the work that you do or something that's inspired you. I don't as such read paranormal books the same way as I don't really watch the programmes because it's like a busman's holiday. It's not the way that I switch off, you know, because it takes so much <laughs> of my time. But I did read The Horton of Haverford West by G.L. Davies. Now, Gavin's interviewed me quite a few times on his podcasts and we got quite a rapport and I like the way that he respects spirits. So I thought, I'm going to buy his book and see. And, and it's funny because his book is about a poltergeist house, which is quite similar in ways to Marianne Cotton's and I read that a long time ago and I thought at the time actually that because you know when you doubt yourself and think will people mm. like this I like it but reading about it is it boring and I liked his book so I thought actually if I like his book maybe people are like my book and yeah. you know the way we work so so you'd recommend yeah. having a look at that one have a look at that he's got it a sounds few like, then. he sounds like someone that I should interview maybe yeah <laughs> and the second question was about you more is if you could go back to your 20 year old self what would you say to them be, pre be prepared for a long hard slog because you think that you're going to take over the world like ghost adventurers or ghost hunters or i can do that they're rubbish i could do better than that uh -uh. spirit <laughs> will show you what they want to show you when the time is right and there is no pushing and there's no fame and fortune or get nobody knows who I am I've been doing this for nine years and yes I've been interviewed a few times on the radio and I've got 12 books out but nobody ever asks them up for my autograph outside I still have to work full-time this isn't my job you know it's just if, it's if you're passion. in for the if you're in for the ego spirit will knock you down like a deck of cards don't they though That's so oh true. yeah it is so they're in charge you aren't in charge and i still now don't ex i mean for all i've said that we get amazing evps and we catch 30 now they could take that away like that i could go out next week and get nothing yeah. because they're in charge not me we and are so the same i just like the things that you're saying it that's i've said that to people it's so true is that i had this one day where we were driving somewhere and 
like you, I've, I was working really hard. I was doing, I was working at a boarding school and then I was doing readings when I wasn't at the boarding school and I was just worked myself to the bone really. And I flippantly said in the car, I said, I'm really sick of spending all week with dead people. And the <laughs> next day, my gift was gone. I couldn't hear spirit, I couldn't see spirit, I couldn't feel oh. spirit. And that took about four weeks before they let me then start feeling stuff again. It was like, you just got way too big for your boots, girl. Yeah, you got that, my lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I've never been blasé about it since and I certainly didn't say it in a mean way it was a genuine I was exhausted but it it was so disrespectful and they took it it was gone yeah yeah absolutely I'd never done that again so my final question (laughs) is about a spiritual practice or a holistic practice something you do to keep yourself safe when you're doing that work or something that you do to keep yourself balanced that you'd recommend to to my listeners um, I never ever investigate without doing an opening prayer. So we surround ourselves in the white light of holy protection. And I tell you it, and we, we don't want anything to be harmed or follow, you know, the protected circle. And you know, we we ask that the quest benefits all who are among us, whether oh, it's on the that. earth, on the earth plane, or in the spirit world. That's what it's oh, about. And to, to be fair. Um, most of our group are Reiki practitioners. So we've yeah. got Reiki masters, Reiki healers. Um, so we do, a, it's very healing. Our, you know, I'm just going to go and let my husband in, by the way. Um, and um, we, we do everything respectful. Um, we do work in the light. We never work in the dark. Um, and I think that's, we, we try to leave the building as light, you know, as we possibly can. Like we've said, we go to Jimmy Allen's and it's very dark. We try to bring that light in. We bring try to bring the, love and the, bring the love and the light in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, that's, uh, and as for other practices, I meditate as often as I possibly can. I love my tarot cards. I don't do readings for people, but I do guide myself. Um, and Reiki, just self-healing because you can't help people if you aren't right yourself. Exactly. So yeah, you take care. So that's it. Thank you so much. Like I said, it's been an absolute joy and I hope that we can do this again some other time. Of course. Thank you so much for joining me. Anytime you like. Thanks for having me. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Spiritually Gifted with host Joe Dutfield. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please keep in touch via our Facebook page, Spiritually Gifted Podcast, or by email to spirituallygiftedpodcast at yahoo.com. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, take care.